You are listening to KWVA Eugene. You on the News is a student-produced program at KWVA. The opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the opinions of KWVA, the University of Oregon, or any other affiliated organization. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to email news at kwvaradio.org with the subject line, You on the News. Hello and welcome to You Own the News. We are recording today on April 15th, so some things may have changed by the time you are listening. Today in the studio we have... Sydney. And Jessica. Just the two of us. Um, exciting fact, this is Sydney's first time recording with You on the News. We're really excited to have her. And here's a week in review. Yesterday, the Pentagon announced that American strikes against Syrian chemical weapons facilities had destroyed the heart of the program. Along with British and French support, the U.S. launched missiles with the goal of taking out President Bashar al-Assad's ability to use chemical weapons. President Trump responded to the attack, tweeting, A perfectly executed strike last night. Thank you to France and the United Kingdom for their wisdom and the power of their fine military. Could not have had a better result. Mission accomplished. At the same time, Defense Department officials acknowledged that the Syrian government likely still has the ability to carry out attacks with chemical weapons. I think the move to bomb Syria is extremely interesting because President Trump was a strong critic of President Obama during his administration for choosing to use force in Syria. I am nervous about how this will affect Syrian civilians. Not only are they facing violent threats from their own government, but now from our government as well. I find that very unnerving. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the language that President Trump uses in his tweet is kind of problematic in itself, like a sort of victory mission accomplished is a little almost twisted. It's very interesting that he uses language like this and that he uses Twitter to sort of acknowledge such a serious government action that's being taken. But it's also not that unlike the Obama era because they were also bombing Syria. And so, I don't know, this just seems like a very self-perpetuating problem. Like, the more we bomb Syria, the more we feel we need to bomb Syria again. Our foreign policy seems so uh, uneven. We're both isolationist and always interfering, so I'm just very at a loss. I don't know. I'm a little nervous to see what's going to happen next. On April 12th, two black men were arrested while waiting for a friend in a Starbucks in Philadelphia. The two men asked to use the restroom but were denied access because they had not purchased any items. The manager asked them to leave, but they said they were waiting for a friend and stayed. The manager then went on to call the police and the two men were arrested and escorted out of the Starbucks by six police officers. The encounter was captured on video and has been going viral on the internet. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson has given a formal apology, stating that Starbucks aims to create an environment that is both safe and welcoming for everyone, end quote. I think this is very interesting, but I don't know if it reflects on the values of Starbucks as a corporation as much as it does on the mindset of a singular employee for Starbucks. Yeah, I think that... Uh, The company itself has been taking kind of a lot of flack and a lot of criticism with the whole hashtag boycott Starbucks. And I don't know if that would be like the whole solution to solve this problem, because I don't know if as a company, the fault lies on their shoulders. Yeah, 
Starbucks is a very interesting company, very um, outwardly progressive. Um, and a couple years ago in 2015, they had a movement called Race Together, hashtag Race Together, where they were encouraging uh, their baristas to try and talk to customers about race and race relations in America. And I just think like at the time they got a lot of flack for that because it's obviously a very weird concept and idea. This situation only makes it more clear that like maybe just talking to your random Starbucks barista about race won't be that productive because a lot of people across the country work <laughs> at Starbucks and they can't all be woke, you know? Yeah, I think that's true. But still the video that's like going viral around the internet CEO of Starbucks said that it's like really hard to watch this company is usually uh in the media and like usually has controversies coming from the other end coming from the right you know about like the Starbucks cups and stuff like that during Christmas time it's definitely different to be seeing Starbucks in this light very important I think to remember that Starbucks is a corporation before anything and is trying to make money. So just keep that in mind. Right. I think that's also like why it's so shocking and why it's such a big deal because it's been more, yeah, controversial on the other end. And yeah, so this is just a lot more of a shock and I think bigger news than maybe even the more like liberal movements and pushes that they've had in the past. They've built a reputation for themselves almost. Yeah. Again, it will be fascinating to see where this goes and what the like long-term changes might be for Starbucks. The UO law professor that put on blackface in October of 2016 is now back and scheduled to teach class at the university this fall. The professor, Nancy Schertz, wore blackface and an Afro wig to a Halloween party as part of a controversial costume depicting Dr. Damon Tweedy, author of Black Man in a White Coat. The university determined that Schertz violated UO policy by committing racial harassment. Schertz was put on temporary leave and then went on a pre-planned year-long sabbatical. Now that Schertz is back, the controversy resumes as well. Last Wednesday, the university hosted a roundtable discussion for students to share their thoughts. The university has not publicly announced her return because it's not their typical policy to announce when a professor returns from sabbatical. I think this is super interesting that they haven't announced that she's back um, because when the whole incident happened, she'll sent out kind of a mass email to everyone saying like, we acknowledge that this happened and we don't endorse this. Like this is not an okay thing that happened. And I know personally, a lot of people were under the assumption that she got fired. Um, and so it was kind of a surprise to hear that she came back and it was just a temporary leave and then a pre-planned sabbatical before the whole incident even happened. I know that some people are just unsure as to whether it's being handled appropriately. I'm certainly a skeptic when it comes to all things about the administration. I think that it's awfully convenient that she was just already taking a year-long sabbatical. She just pretty much did what she was already planning to do and then is returning as planned with no announcement. And I just hope that next fall for any black students who might be in her class, just know that the rest of the school is like supporting you because I understand that that at the minimum can't be a comfortable classroom to be in. At the time, I remember there being so much push for her to get fired, which I don't know, maybe that is too extreme. I can't say, but 
this definitely feels like a slap on the wrist. Right. I think it is a little troubling that there hasn't been enough, I think, of like an acknowledgement or an announcement that she's back because while it is really cool that the roundtable discussion was hosted in order for these students to speak their thoughts, maybe that should have happened before she was rehired back because I know a lot of students had no idea until they were registering for classes and then they saw her name and some students won't take class with her. Some also argue that it wasn't enough to get fired. She has so much to teach, like she is such an expert in her field, but at the same time, it's, it's still controversial. That'll do it for Week in Review. Stay tuned for our feature story on Republicans on campus. Saving energy saves you money. Whether you switch to Energy Star light bulbs, install Energy Star appliances, or add extra insulation. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Good evening. I'm Amy Brenneman. Recently, I was thinking about the differences between Democrats and Republicans. The differences between the two political parties have divided many people in the United States. Will bipartisanship ever be possible? Can Democrats and Republicans even get along? Wanting answers to these questions, I enlisted the help of our assistant news director for Storytime, Tess Novotny, who is double majoring in journalism and political science. Tess and I are pretty liberal, but we wanted to have a conversation with people who shared political beliefs different than our own. So we sat down with Trent and George. I'm Trent Caparo. I'm vice president of the College Republicans. Uh, I'm Georgie Carius, also a member of the College Republicans. How does it feel to be a Republican on such a liberal campus as University of Oregon? When I first came onto this campus, I expected it to be pretty far left. I expected most students to be liberal. But once I joined the club, um, I noticed that there are a lot of conservatives on campus. I mean, there is a certain population of them. Um, it's still a minority on campuses, at least for now, but we're trying to change that. Uh, coming out uh, from South Dakota to Oregon and to a college campus in general, I was, I didn't really know what to expect, uh, but it's been really nice to be surrounded by like-minded people. Um, but at the same time, I think that if you're a liberal and you only have liberal friends, or if you're conservative and you only have conservative friends, uh, then you're doing college wrong. I think that it's really important to have that diversity of thought in your daily life. Could you talk a little bit about like what being involved with College Republicans means to you guys, and also how many people are involved with the group? Last night, we actually hit 90 registered members. At a typical meeting, we'll get 30 to 40, I'd say. Being involved with College Republicans is it's been a great experience. Um, I joined the club a little bit after Inauguration Day last year. Almost right away, I became the recruiting director for the club. So I was out there tabling all the time. The Daily Emerald even had a newspaper that had my portrait on the cover of it. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got a lot of publicity from that. Got a lot, of mo a lot more people involved in the club. And next year, we're looking to do a lot more campaign work with the, especially with the Lane County Republican Party and possibly with the state party. For our party, the, the 2018 elections are, are so critical because Democrats do have the energy, they do have the organization. So I think that it's our responsibility is kind of the grassroots arm of the party, the, the young and energetic um, Republicans to kind of counterbalance uh, their enthusiasm. So it's a great time. It's social. The meetings are very fun. We talk about issues. Um, 
that's all really enjoyable. Um, but at the same time, we do kind of have a responsibility to fight for our party and get Republicans elected to local, state, and federal government. What does it feel like when you share your opinions with your classmates or your professors or your friends? Because I would imagine that you might feel like they don't always agree with you right off the bat. And like, how do you kind of deal with that or navigate that? I like to think that all professors are pretty open-minded when it comes to conservative perspectives. I mean, obviously, most professors in the country are pretty left-leaning, I think. Statistically speaking, I think for every conservative registered professor, there are 13 who are registered as a Democrat. I haven't had a lot of problem with that. I know that there are people who have had that problem, but I'm lucky enough not to have uh, run into that problem. Yeah, at least from a friend perspective, I mean, if you're, you know, I think that you can trust that your friends will respect your opinion, you know, no matter what. But I think that it's good that you, you're able to have those conversations with friends if they disagree with you. Regarding the professors, I think that most of them are very liberal. And I think that conservative students do face an interesting dilemma. I think they have to decide whether, especially in the social sciences and political science classes, do I talk about what I really believe in? Or do I just kind of go with what the professor wants me to say so that I can get a better grade? I've done that. I have a lot of friends that have done that. That's a real challenge that conservative students face. Do I just kind of fake it or do I actually say what I believe? Yeah. And uh, going back to what he said about um, faking your opinions or being really honest, this is what we call either the Dennis Prager approach or the Ben Shapiro approach. Uh, the, the Dennis Prager approach is where you be totally honest. You, you never... Um, lie about your opinions. You're always true to yourself. And the Ben Shapiro approach is where you shape your opinions to be more like what the professor just wants to hear. Personally, I prefer the Dennis Prager approach. I believe that being honest with yourself and others is the best way to create a healthy dialogue and open people up to your opinions. What generally happens when you are that honest in your classes? There are some people who are going to present counterpoints, as they should. As long as um, you're honest about your opinions and you're not trying to hide anything, I think people will respect that and they'll have a better understanding of where you're coming from. How much does being a Republican a part of your identity? You know, I used to think that, you know, in, in like middle school and high school, I knew that I was Republican, but I didn't really know why. And I always thought that there was kind of one set of facts and somebody was wrong and somebody was right on every issue. And I thought Republicans were right on every issue. And as I've kind of come to college and, you know, I've spent a lot of time watching and, and reading um, left-leaning news outlets and stuff, and I've really developed a pretty good sense for what they think on a lot of issues. And it is two completely different worldviews on just about every issue. It's not a right or wrong thing, it's just how you view the world. And as a Republican, you know, my religion is very important to me. Myself as an individual and everybody else as an individual rather than groups, I think that's important to me. And I think that uh, the principles of self-reliance and accountability are things that the Republican embraces and that I think that's a really helpful mindset for you know any young person to take is that I'm accountable for my mistakes but I'm also accountable for the things that I succeed in. you got to have it you know it can't be I'm not accountable for what I screw up with but when I do something well it's you know that's what I, that's my accomplishment you know you kind of have to have it both ways. Uh, being a Republican means a lot to me it didn't mean so much to me back in high school I wasn't very politically active but I did come from a town that I think 70% voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Once I got to college, once I saw the attitude towards conservatives like myself, um, that really is what inspired me to come out to college Republicans to get a different perspective. And um, from there, it, that's when it became a very big part of my life. How do you think like your families have shaped your views? Well, I do come from a conservative family, but 
um, me and my parents, we agree on many issues, but there are still a couple where we disagree, and which is totally fine. We to- we're totally respectful of each other on the issues where we disagree. Yeah, I'm from a Christian conservative family in South Dakota, so it, it certainly shaped uh, who I am. But I think that college is a really good time to you know, read left-leaning or, or right-leaning if you're a liberal um, media outlets and, you know, talk to people that don't agree with you and actually, you know, maybe try your to change your views, you know, be proved wrong about something that you believe, you know, but I, I think that your family certainly has a, a very deep impact on what you believe. On campus and on a national level, is the Republican Party seeing a more growing diversity in its members? There are demographics that are changing right now with, um, in terms of which demographic is becoming more conservative and less conservative. One thing that's very important is young people. Um, The new generation coming into adulthood, Generation Z, which is people born um, since 1995, is predicted to be the most conservative generation since World War II, which is huge. But that's gonna, that should counter um, Generation Y, which is overwhelmingly liberal. This could be a great chance for the Republican Party to reach out more and market to younger people, which the Republican Party absolutely needs to change its platform a little more to market to young people. Young people just tend to be very rebellious towards authority, whether it's you know their parents or their school or their government. But when you actually think about it, you would think that that would make them a conservative, that they're, they're kind of, young people have a general distrust and a combative attitude towards authority and especially government. So you would think that they would want to, you know, shrink the size of government. And that's kind of what we believe. But as far as like racial diversity goes, that is going to be a problem for the Republican Party, I think. You know, at least on this campus, that's something that uh, I know in our tabling efforts in our meetings, we, we try to promote. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that. But as Republicans, we we don't like breaking people down into groups, whether it's racial or whatever. We basically just focus on the individual and believe that everybody has their own principles. And if you're a Republican, you're a Republican. If you're a Democrat, you're a Democrat. It doesn't really matter what your skin color is. If you if your principles match our party's platform, then of course, no matter no matter who you are, you're welcome in the party. Absolutely. I mean, even if you disagree with us on many issues, even if you disagree with most issues, you're welcome to come to like especially one of our club meetings. I mean, some people weigh certain issues more than others. There are some people who probably most of their positions lie with the left, but some of their opinions which lie with the right are much more important to them, and that'll mm-hmm. swing them to the Republican Party. But um, in terms of diversity, if you'd like to talk about like ethnic diversity, one thing we saw in the 2016 election was the white vote pretty much stayed the same, but um, my, the minority vote, like um, Hispanic people, Asian people, and African-American people, that all drifted very far to the right. I think each one um, swifted about 10 points in favor of Trump. I think uh, one thing, especially with Hispanic voters and, and some people that I know, is there a lot of them are Catholic and very pro-life. And I think there are some issues in the Republican Party that are basically a litmus test, that you, basically you have to be pro-life and you have to be pro-Second Amendment. And for a lot of people, they're single-issue voters. And if you know, they could be Democrat on 99% of things, but if they're, you know, the pro-life thing is just a deal breaker or pro-choice thing is a deal breaker for them. So I think there are a lot of single issue voters in, in our party, especially. And I don't know if the Democrat party is necessarily the same way. But what do you? 
Um, Big Trent. I really don't like it when people just focus on one issue because there's so many yeah. issues that are important to the country. You mm-hmm. really need to take into consideration many issues. You don't, I mean, not necessarily all, but at, you have to take into account many of them when you decide mm-hmm. who to vote for. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear you talk about the single issue thing because I, I feel like that's definitely something that's a liberal phenomenon too. Like I know people that only vote for whatever, like there's certain things that they're passionate about and might not really mm-hmm. like think of the whole picture. So mm-hmm. that's really interesting to me. I'm wondering, do you guys have any like liberal good friends that you're able to like talk about politics with often? Absolutely. Um, although there are many, there are some people on this campus who aren't very respectful towards us and who can get irate with us sometimes uh, when we try to start a conversation. There are still many people who are always willing to have a reasonable, sensible conversation with us. Um, many of them I'm close friends with, even in high school and also college. Yeah, no, I think that as conservatives, you know, we we, we hate the echo chamber concept of college campuses where, you know, 99% of people believe the same thing, the professors and the students. and. We really believe in the importance of diversity of thought and hearing different viewpoints. So in order to be logically consistent, we have to do that in our personal lives. And I think that's a very valuable exercise to have friends um, that disagree with you and to actually you know, talk to them about the issues. Yeah, I agree. What do you think is the benefit of talking to people that are just believe different things than you? Well, I mean, the most important quality of any healthy democracy, the, the lifeblood of it, is healthy dialogue so that we can... Um, share our opinions, we can understand where each other are coming from, and then we can hopefully come together on certain issues. We especially need to find the areas where we agree on, because those are going to be the easiest areas to reach new policies, to solve issues. The best ideas in society will always come from both sides coming together and having a conversation and proposing solutions. You know, so I, I think that's just tremendously important that both sides can actually be able to get together in doing that. And that's one of our big problems with, you know, the riots that happen when conservative speakers are invited to campus. It's like if you're not even willing to have that conversation, if you're not willing to listen to a different viewpoint, we're just not going to get anywhere. And the two sides are just going to get further entrenched. What would you say are some of the biggest negative stereotypes people have, like liberals have, about Republicans? Um, When they hear Republican, they just think of, you know, rich privileged white person. I mean, I mean I'm I'm Middle Eastern. I come from a middle class home. I mean, there's there's a lot of diversity in the Republican Party, but just because a majority of white people vote for the Republican Party, that doesn't mean that all Republicans are white. That doesn't mean they're privileged. Um, it doesn't mean they're rich. Yeah, the identity politics game is a bad game no matter who's playing it, and both sides are guilty of of playing that game. I I think one of the biggest stereotypes that I see in the Republican Party. I don't know how prevalent it is from the other side, but thinking, you know, that what happened in in, in Charlottesville and, you know, these alt-right people are somehow a represent, representative of the party as a whole, um, it's just absurd. I, I hated seeing that on the news. Um, really, basically what happened in Charlottesville is a fringe group of, like, 500 people, and that's really, like, all there is. There, the alt-right really is not it doesn't have much influence in our politics. I really don't no. think it does. And, you know, I, I don't think that 500 people carrying tiki torches is much of a danger to our country compared to the 
far left who's willing to shut down free speech and basically just make sure that like everything has to be our way and if it's not our way then we're not even going to talk about it and i think they have a lot more influence in our country and our media than the alt-right ever will yeah people too often especially recently people seem to be too often associating republicans with the alt-right but like like george said um we don't like the alt-right and it's also very important to note the alt-right is incredibly small I mean, yeah. very few members in there. Yeah. Yeah, so I really appreciate everything you guys are saying about, like, coming together and having conversations about politics and these tough issues, even if we think we're so different. Because I know, in my experience, I feel like when I talk about politics with people who um, have, like, similar views as mine and are very, very liberal or very leftist, like, I feel like we're just kind of in an echo chamber and like what's the Mm -hmm. point of talking with people that just completely agree with you on everything or that like you know you basically agree with on everything so like what do you think that both democrats and republicans or just left people right people whatever you want to call it can do for us to come together and have more effective conversations um well we need to find common ground i mean like um one of the survivors of the parkland shooting uh Kyle Kashev, um, he said that before we start talking about the things where we disagree on so much, we need to focus on the things that we do agree on. We need to at least get something done before before um, things get too divided. And once we do come together, that can open the door for more collaboration between both sides. I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. I think that the left, especially the far left, needs to stop suppressing free speech and stop basically throwing a fit when there's conservative speakers on campus and be more open to conversation. But at the same time, Republicans need to stop this attitude that it's all about triggering libs and it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to be on my own. Like, college Republican owns liberal, and you know, like that's just not a good attitude to have. And I think, you know, people on our side just kind of, you know, go online and say, oh, here's this great Ben Shapiro talking point or, you know, here's this thing Charlie Kirk said, and I want to, you know, repeat it just to make someone angry. Like, that's not how you go about it. This this is how you go about it. You sit down and you have a conversation about something, um, and you don't try and just get the other side mad. You try to actually get something done and actually have respect for the person that's sitting across from you. So, do you guys have any questions for us? What do you think when you hear? college Republican or Republican in general? I I try to be pretty open-minded and like um, try to like really understand people for who they are and like what they, I don't know, like what you guys believe and like what your values are. So I'm, I'm trying to be very open-minded like in general in my life and especially because I'm a journalist and I, I'm my, I'm in the business of trying to understand at least where I see it. Like I'm trying to understand lots of different kinds of people even those who don't necessarily agree with me Mm -hmm. i guess when i think of republican i think of like fiscally conservative and a lot of the values that you were kind of mentioning like more um taking care of yourself and your family and like making sure that that's what comes first to you and voting that way too yeah i don't know and like maybe just having more like traditional ideas about gender and like same-sex marriage, things like that, is probably what would come to mind for me when I think of Republican. Yeah, I agree a lot with what Tess said. Um, Because I think it's really dangerous to assume the personality of anyone. Um, And I think that can be applied to 
anyone, not just like the different like Democrats and Republicans, just anyone I think it's dangerous to assume. Um, I'll be honest, I have family members that are right leaning and they tend they're kind just my family members are kind of combative Mm -hmm. and it's hard to not have my mind go straight to oh that's how all republicans are you know but definitely as a journalist and just a person who tries to be nice i try not to make assumptions about anyone though i try to keep an open mind and one thing i would say to that is i think what a lot of people both on the right and the left don't realize is we have a lot of the same goals. Like we all want better education at a cheaper price. We all want better healthcare at a cheaper price. The only the only area which we differ in is our methods of achieving those goals. But we do all want a lot of the same things. Not all of the same things, but there are a lot of the same things that we want. That'll do it for you on the news. Thank you for listening. Tune in next Wednesday and every Wednesday at 7 p.m. to KWVA Eugene or online at kwvaradio.org for You Own the News. Stay tuned for Arts and Culture.